Well, uh, no pressure, eh, Martha? Blow you off the planet. <laughs> if you missed the beginning, Martha said that my preaching's going to blow, blow you off the planet today. Um, but it actually, in some ways, Martha's right. Not about me, but about the Holy Spirit. It got me thinking about uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, uh, the word for power really does mean explosive. And so, hey, who knows? God might just blow you off the planet. Not literally, hopefully, but um, he may just blow you off the planet this afternoon through his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Rome, what a city Rome is to experience. Coffee sitting on the Spanish steps, gelato as you sit by the Trevi Fountain, gazing in wonder at the beauty and the creativity of the artists who have, and the architects who have managed to create something so beautiful at the Sistine Chapel and at St. Peter's Basilica. Incredible pizza for lunch on Piazza Navona and discovering the might of Rome at the Pantheon, the Colosseum and the Roman Forum. I've been twice to Rome, but I've never experienced that Rome. In fact, I've only really been to the airport, to a hotel, and to a rugby pitch. You see, me and my team were there both times for a purpose. We had a focus, and our focus was to get a win in a rugby championship. That's why we were there, and we were in and out, and that's what it was all about. And do you know what? Some people come to God like that. Some people come to church like that. And what I mean is that you come looking for something from God or from church, but then you miss God himself. I went to Rome, but I didn't really experience Rome. Maybe you've been going to church, but you've never really experienced God. Today, in our series, The Greater Story, we're going to be in a parable about a rich fool. And in that parable, we're going to see this man uh, that Jesus talks about being so focused on the good things of life that actually he misses the greatest thing in life. He misses God. All right, before we begin, Zara is going to read for us and pray. Uh, we are going to get some uh, students to help us out through this series as they're scattered around the country or maybe uh, isolated in their flats. And we just want to, we just want, we love you guys. This, we really do love the student community and we, we really miss you. Um, so we just want to involve you in whichever way we can. So really thankful to Zara for reading for us this afternoon. I'm Zara, for those of you who know me, I'm one of the students here at Glasgow Grace, currently in Durham, so a big hello all the way from um, I'll be reading the passage for today, which is the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. With me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? 
I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink, eat and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable. And I pray that we would learn from it today. Help Ian as he preaches and help our hearts to be soft and open, to be taught by you, to be molded by you. I pray that we wouldn't be people of earthly possessions and um, lovers of the world, but that we would be lovers of your kingdom, storing our treasures in heaven, God. Teach us now, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, this passage, it comes in a moment where actually thousands of people have gathered around Jesus, and he's teaching them about a revolution. And as he does, people are, there's so many people, and people are so uh, keen to hear him and get close to the front that uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says they're, they're stepping on each other. There's a crush going on to get near Jesus. And as he announces this revolution that salvation is here, that the kingdom of God is advancing, he also warns the crowds. He says division is coming as well. That there will come a day where if you follow me, your own people in synagogues will put you on trial. But the Holy Spirit will come and he will give you the words that you need. It's the most important revolution that's ever taken place. And yet, there's a man close to the front who just misses it. He's got his own agenda. It's like the miffed congregant at the church meeting who's focused on some trivial matter. Even though an elder or a leader in the church has stepped up just moments before and and talked about how we want to reach the city. We want to reach the city for God's glory. We want to reach the city and see people transformed by Jesus. We we want to see people healed and miracles take place. And we've got this, this strategy we think is from God and we want to do this together. Come on. Um, hang on a minute. Uh, the, the carpet. Who chose the carpet? I mean, it's horrendous. Goes off on one about the carpet. Easily distracted. All of us at times are easily distracted. Here, distracted. Here is a family feud over inheritance being played out in front of thousands of people because Although he might have a point, he comes looking for justification about something that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. He's looking to this religious man to sort his feud out. And Jesus says, no, hang on. (laughs) I'm not your arbiter. I'm not here to settle some contentious will. Then he turns to the crowd, to the many, like the man, distracted, by something else going on in their minds or wherever you might be right now, he would say, don't be distracted. And he wants to tell you this parable. 
These people were present. They were there, but they were missing it. Are you sometimes present? Are you sometimes there, but you're missing it? What made you tune in today? What made you first come along to church? Did you come for God, or did you come for something from God? Do you ever find yourself asking, how can these people in this church be so obsessed with God? Why are they as passionate as that? Just chill out. Well, it might be because your focus is elsewhere. It might be that you're here, but you're missing it. Why is it that we are so easily distracted? Well, in the parable Jesus tells of this rich man, we see something of why. This man's so focused on the finer things of life. This guy's always been rich by the seams of it, uh, or he was rich before in this story. He's a rich man, hard worker, farmer, but he gets a big break. A huge crop comes along, so he builds bigger storehouses. Now, that seems wise to us, doesn't it? It's not like he's going out and just spending it all in a day. It's, it's not some kind of foolish spending of money uh, on frivolous things. He's, he's saving it up. He's being wise. That's what we might think. Res- kind of reasonable, responsible response. Not going off and just spending it on whatever he likes. Not according to Jesus, though. <laughs> he doesn't think it's wise. Even when we say, it doesn't, I think we actually think that money buys us things. Comfort, eases money, worries, anxieties, gives us security, releases us to go and have fun, to really enjoy life. But there is perhaps nothing that distracts us more from true life, from what is most important in life, than money than money and possessions. 15% of what Jesus teaches in the Gospels is about warnings to do with money and possessions. 2,350 verses in the Bible deal directly with money. That's double the amount that deal with faith and prayer combined. Why? Why is that such a big deal? Well, God revealed why to Hosea, to the prophet the kids were learning about today. It says this in Hosea 13:6. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. Money has the ability to quickly take our focus away from God. It can turn us into monsters in moments. An inheritance that we have some kind of disagreement over. Or we come into money quickly. It can turn us into these monsters just overnight. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
But here's the thing. In this parable, we see that money itself isn't the problem. It's our insatiable hunger for more. It's our greed. Money simply awakens us to our greed, to our true problem. Jesus says, watch out for all kinds of greed, verse 15. And then after this passage, he explains that we don't need to worry about physical things, about clothes and food to eat, because God will provide. So they're obviously important things, but not the main thing. R.T. Kendall was a minister at Westminster Chapel after Martin Lloyd-Jones for many years, and he said this about the rich fool. The trouble was not that he had things. The trouble was that the things had him. It's greedy nature that makes money dangerous. The want for more than we need. And notice too, it's not just money. It's all kinds of greed. Greed for attention, for food, for success, for comfort, for rest even, for compliments. There are all kinds of greed. And it might be that you don't struggle with a greed for more possessions or more money, but you struggle with greed for more of something else. Our greed builds entitlement for things, and it drives us to consume more and more. These are the real problem and the problems that the Laodicean church in Revelation had. And what did Jesus say about them? Well, he said that they should be spat out of his mouth because they are neither hot nor cold. Money simply captivates our greed and turns our eyes away from God to self-preservation and self-promotion instead of looking to God, instead of keeping our eyes on the main thing, instead of focusing on what is important. And we'll become like that man in the crowd if we let it captivate us. We'll be right in front of Jesus. The greatest revolution, the most important one that's ever taken place and not seen. In Randy Alcorn's book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, he tells the story of meeting a Romanian pastor leading a secret church in the USSR. And he said this to him, in my experience, 95% of believers who face the test of persecution pass it, while 95% who face the test of prosperity, fail it. If persecution problems are nothing on prosperity problems, then pandemic problems don't even register on the scale. So when we live in a time of plenty, how is it that we rein in our greed and help keep our eyes focused on God and not money or possessions. How do we do that? Well, I think there's a few things here in this passage that can help us. Number one, challenge your thinking. Verse 17 says this, he thought to himself, what shall I do? Do you only go to God when you feel as though you need him? Or are your thoughts bound up in a conversation with God? 
to only think thoughts with self, inwardly, instead of outwardly with God, is to be what Psalm 10.4 describes. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Pete Comfort is uh, my church planting mentor, so I speak to him regularly on the phone, and uh, he leads a church called Redeemer Church in London, and he's been reminding me throughout the pandemic, do not sit in and think in, as he calls it. Instead, he says, turn the restrictions of lockdown into the freedom of knowing more of God. In other words, the more we think inwardly, the more we're led away from God into the maze of our own thinking. The more we think outwardly to God in prayer, the more we find freedom in a palatious place with God. To keep our eyes focused on God and not greed, we need to challenge our thinking. Number two, we also need to challenge our planning. Verse 18, this is what I will do. He makes a decision by himself to do what he wants to do. Look, planning is not a bad thing, but we mustn't plan ahead of God. I was uh, praying on Monday as part of our 24-hour prayer uh, day, and um, I just, I just sensed God giving me this picture. And um, as, as I was praying, I saw this uh, cyclist who was cycling in front of me. And we were a part of a race. And I was cycling in behind this cyclist. He was first and I was second. And um, I kept thinking, I need to get out round the side of this cyclist and, and, and get round to, in front of them so that I can go on ahead and get into the lead. But every time I did, I found myself just getting really tired really fast. And I just couldn't quite get ahead. And the cyclist would just kind of pull in in front of me. And um, it went from feeling daunted about what was ahead and knowing the route and what was coming, what was around the corner, and was there a big hill and was there a big headwind, instead of just tucked in behind him. And when I was in that place, there was more energy, there was a, a comfort with, with being tucked in behind the leader. I just got a sense that God was saying to me, look, just tuck in behind Jesus. Tuck in behind him. Don't try and go ahead and make your own plans, but stick in behind Jesus. And that, that should be true of us all the time. We never want to plan ahead of God. What a terrible place that would be. We want, to, we want to align ourselves with God, get behind what he is doing, and go in the direction that he is going. Follow Jesus. Don't try and get on ahead without him. When we make plans, we need to make them prayerfully. And with the proviso, God, I give these plans up to you, and if you want to rip them up in a moment, I'm okay. I'm okay with that because that's your plan. To keep our focus on God and not greed, we need to challenge our planning. 
Number three, challenge your investments. We live in the world, uh, a world that is surrounded by instant access to just about everything, especially the things we're greedy for. The economy and the big and big business and politics and so on, even the news cycles, they depend on this instantaneous access. They depend on us being able to get a fix on our greed from the things that they're feeding us. We live in an abundance of information, an abundance of food and drink from all over the world, of all kinds of clothes, of instant finance for big TVs and cars and all sorts of commodities. And in this environment, we must constantly ask ourselves, what is really of worth? And should I invest my time, my effort, my money in it? Don't just allow yourself to be carried away with whatever you find yourself doing. Think about what you're investing your time in. Think about what you're investing your money in. Think about what you're investing your energies in. God doesn't call people fool very often. But he does in this passage. And when he does elsewhere... He usually refers to the atheist, the fool who says there is no God. So in verse 20, he's using it here to suggest that if money or comfort top your agenda, if greed is your driver for investment and not God, you're a functional atheist. You're depending on self and on other things instead of depending on God. And at the end of the rich fool's life, which God says to him, is going to be that night, he ends up with nothing. Life is short. Here today, gone tomorrow. Too many of us assume a long and a healthy life. Listen, I've known too many people, young, fit, healthy, 20 and 30-somethings, who have just suddenly died. Some of them without any real explanation. One of them was something called sudden death syndrome, which basically means he don't know why, but his heart stopped. Life is short. Let this pandemic help you assess, help you see that life is short. Help you see that although one in a thousand Brits this year have died from the coronavirus, one in 100 Brits die every year, and one out of one Brits will die one year. We all die. Life is short. Psalm 103 is so helpful for perspective right now. It says this, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. What? But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. (laughs) That's perspective. John D. Rockefeller 
probably the wealthiest American of all time, said this, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. Challenge your investments in the light of the kingdom of God, in light of eternal life. See to it that you do not look at the world as, as if this is it and let it lead you to greed. But instead, invest in the kingdom of God and let it lead you to generosity. You see how one leads you to this greed that in the end will offer you nothing and the other leads you to generosity which will lead to the most generous one, to God himself. The way to true riches is to give. Be generous as you receive the generosity of God. That's what it depends upon. It depends upon the receiving of the generosity of God so that you might be generous like he is generous to you. That is the only way to genuine generosity. As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Some of you have heard of the pastor in Minneapolis called John Piper. I think it's extraordinary what he does with his money. Instead of receiving a penny from the probably hundreds, I don't know, lots of books that he has written, it all goes into a foundation. And at the end of the year, he and some other trustees get together and they decide where all the money goes. Not one penny of it comes back to him. He's capped his salary in his church. He remains in a small house that he's had since he's been pastor there for decades in Minneapolis. Francis Chan, another pastor in the States, has done something really similar. None of his book money coming to him, but sending it back out for kingdom purposes. And it's amazing seeing these guys interviewed because they just take such joy in giving that away. Such joy in knowing that this isn't really their money anyway, and they get to bless people, and they get to be a part of the kingdom of God advancing by just giving away. They love it. We're blessed to give than to receive. The best book I've ever read on money is by a guy called Randy Alcorn, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And then he says this, abundance isn't God's provision for me to live in luxury. It's his provision for me to help others live. God entrusts me with, the, with his money not to build my kingdom on earth, but to build his kingdom in heaven. That is what it means, verse 21, to be rich towards God. If rich fool looks wise to the world, He's not squandering it all in a day. He's saving it up and enjoying the good life. That looks wise. But in being rich towards God, you will look like a fool to the world when in fact you're the wisest and truly richest person. That's the truth. Live as if the truth about the kingdom of God is really true. It's as simple as that. And it is. Live as someone who is an all-out investor 
in the kingdom of God. You've hedged your bets. You're all in to the kingdom of heaven. Invest your possessions, your time, your works, your focus, your money in the kingdom of God, ruled by the king of kings, whose love is from everlasting to everlasting. We don't talk about 10% at Glasgow Grace very often, because although it's a good start, it's an Old Testament principle that actually has been superseded in Christ in the New Testament um, to have an emphasis on generosity. It's give what you can in generous faith. And trust me, God will look after you. That's been our experience and the experience of many at Glasgow Grace. Those of you who I've had conversations with about this and people who are generously giving, they're blessed for it. Let it be your experience too. Doesn't mean that you're going to get a Ferrari, (laughs) but it does mean that you will be blessed and you will have an eternal reward. As we think about how we can take next steps in our journey as a young church, we want to think about how we can fund new ways of reaching people in need across Glasgow, in need spiritually, which we know there is a great need for, but also in need physically or in some kind of social poverty. And to do that, we want to be able to resource grace communities with training. We want to see even staff one day soon being added to the team. We'd love to be able to have all kinds of resources available so that we can really bless this city. And so as we think about that, and we think about this meaningful impact that we want to have, and not just to be talking about some kind of vision forever, but actually getting this done to see more of the kingdom of God breaking out through Glasgow Grace, we need to start in prayer, which I hope we've been doing, in action, which I hope we've been doing, but also in giving. And we make these steps together in faith. And then we make another step and another step and another step and another step. And then we see the city being blessed more and more as the kingdom of God advances. And we see God multiply what we give in time, in energy, in prayer, and in finance. God has given most of us more than we need. It's not so we can indulge the greed within us. It's not just so that we can build some kind of empire for our kids or whatever it is. It's so we can give and give generously to the glory of God to invest in the eternal kingdom. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says this, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Hmm. Want to be about God's glory? And Glasgow's good? Seems like giving generously is a big part of that. Like he has given generously to us in his son. So we model something of who God is and his generosity in ours. Listen, I could put our giving details up now 
and do some kind of big giving drive. But I'd really rather not. Do you know why? I'd much prefer it if you went away, prayed, got before God, looked at this stuff yourself, and had your heart changed. I, I don't want to guilt people into doing something out of compulsion. Just one meeting where we go, come on, let's do this together, let's give a... I don't want to rant and rave like that. I want your hearts to be changed. I want you to be so in love with God, so for Him and His kingdom, so convinced that you need to invest your all in the kingdom of God, not just in money, but in all areas of your life, that you naturally start to do it. It's grace coming out of you as you receive the grace of God, and you fall in love with Him, and you love the King, and you you want to see the kingdom advance. So, listen, our giving details are at the bottom of our homepage on our website. If you have your heart changed, you'll make it there, and you'll find a way of doing it. That's all I'm going to say. Let's not live according to the world's greed. Let's live according to God's generosity. The greatest payment ever made was God's Son. Jesus willingly going to the cross and purchasing us by His blood. So, next time you do your budget, or you think about your giving, it is not crass to turn to his generosity on the cross and think, how do I live more like that? The cross should make us the most generous people on earth. So where's your focus? Are you like the man distracted by the family feud? Are you like the rich man distracted by the good things of life? Don't miss the experience of truly knowing him of being truly rich, of having the greatest treasure in your life who is God himself in order to focus on something that will just pass away. Kingdom of God is here. Invest in that. Let's think outwardly with God, plan in prayer according to his will, and invest our time, our money, our effort as all-out investors in the kingdom of God. Let me pray as Andy and Jen come on back up. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're so generous. Thank you, Father, that you have come through your Son and you have purchased us, Jesus, by your blood. Lord, would your generosity not only in your saving of us, but also in your pouring out of your Spirit upon us and your continued generosity to us, the way that you treat us and love us and welcome us into your kingdom and use us as people who bring multiplication and advance your kingdom through what you do in us. God, thank you for all of that. Thank you, Lord, that one day we'll be with you and that when we're there in heaven with you, Oh, Lord, none of this stuff that captivates us and takes our focus away from you will matter. The only thing that will matter is the throne and the one who sits on the throne, and we will be bowed down before you. And Lord, I I pray that each of us, 
would be the people who are vindicated on that day because we've given our all, responding to your generosity and your grace as free gift and invested everything we've got in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we pray that as we continue in these times of frustration and isolation, that Lord, we would uh, not think in, but think out with you. That God, we would be captivated by you, that we would have our eyes focused on you. Come Lord Jesus.